Have you ever wished for a 30-hour day? Maybe it's just me, but there are times where I wish, you know, I just wish I had more time to get things done. Or sometimes I've wished I could be like one of those people you read about that can get by on three hours of sleep. You know, go to bed at midnight, wake up at 3 a.m. with just all kinds of energy and just be able to go all day long until midnight the next day. Because there seem to be so many things to get done. And you can't get them all done. But I wonder if that would really solve the problem. If we were given a longer day, given more time to be able to get things done. You may have heard of the Parkinson's principle that work expands to fill all the available time. (laughs) So if work expands to fill all your available time, we're really not better off. But I think that for most of us, we find ourselves chasing, moving, working, driving to be able to get things done. And we grow tired, we grow weary. Even if you had a 30-hour day, would you have the energy to be able to get things done? I think we find ourselves working more in life and enjoying it less. And sometimes we can even ask this question, is this it? Is this life? I get up in the morning, go to work, come home, watch TV, do a few things, go to bed. Get up in the morning, go to work, (laughs) come home, watch TV, get some things done. And on the weekend, maybe do something fun, but then it all starts again. And you wonder, is this the purpose of my life? Is this the meaning of my life? Is this to be what is fulfilling in life? I think for most of us, we will come to those places from time to time. Is this this all it is? Is this just the repetition going over and over the same things? In the passage that Josh read just a moment ago, the Apostle Paul deals with purpose, purpose in life. And he answers that question. Of course, the, the verse that I uh, the two verses that I'd like to focus on and what we did two weeks ago in Romans eight twenty eight and 29 are probably some of the most familiar verses and most quoted verses in all of Scripture. And I'd like this morning to take a look at that as we, we jump into purpose. We've taken on a theme over these next uh, several weeks, living life on purpose. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. That verse is a comfort because what it's saying is that not everything that happens to us is good. We know that because there's evil in the world and we're all affected by evil and bad things do happen to good people part of the frustration that we experience, but what he is assuring us of this fact that even though it may be bad, evil, hurtful, painful, difficult, God is taking all of those things and weaving them together, working them together ultimately for your good. That's a great promise. And he uses that word, purpose. He's working these things together according to his purpose. So when God created you, God formed you, God fashioned you. I love reading Psalm 139. It's one of my favorite psalms because that psalm 
talks about how God forms us and fashions us with purpose. It's always a great comfort when I go back and read that to settle my mind and my heart that God does have purpose for my life. And we talked about defining success because I think all of us would like to be successful is that success is finding and fulfilling God's purpose for my life, this creative purpose. God, because God did make me, He made you to fulfill purpose. And I say that Romans 8.28 is one of the most popular verses in all of the Bible, but most often people will leave off verse 29, but 29 explains the purpose that God has for us. So after this, that we know all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, it says, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God's purpose for your life, God's purpose for my life, is to progressively make you and fashion you and mold you to the likeness of His Son. Most of the time when I think about purpose for my life, I'm thinking about what I'm to do. (laughs) What am I supposed to do with my life? Where am I supposed to go? What's God's will supposed to look like as far as occupation or geographical location? Or what's the next project that I have? But you'll notice this, that God's primary concern, He does care about what you do, not saying that. But the first thing that God cares about is who you are, what you're to be, not what you're to do, what you're to be. And this really was for me over December, and I shared this two weeks ago, that, that for December, I'm typically going through all goals, ideas, things I'm going to be doing this next year. What do I want to get done this year? What do I want to change this year? And, and it dawned on me It's like, Matt, before we talk about what you're to do, let's talk about what you're to be. You're to be like Christ. God wants to change your life to be less like you and more like Jesus. And this is really the focus. Paul addresses what we are becoming first and then what we will be doing. And I'd like this morning to kind of take a little sidestep from this discussion to examine the life of Christ and how he did this. Because he says he he is, God desires for him to be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, he is the first, the example that we have. And I like to, to describe it this way. Jesus Christ is both model and means to becoming what God has created us to be. He is the model He shows us what it's like, the example, and He's also the the means. He is the ability to do the transforming, and it is a transforming work to make my life more like Jesus Christ. You say, well, why why do I want to live like that? Why would I want to be like Jesus? Because His life wasn't too exciting. In fact, it kind of came to a tragic um, circumstance there at the cross. You remember that? So when people say, you want to live like Jesus? I don't know about that. He's single, uh, persecuted, and people rejected him. I don't know if I want to live that life. But the most fulfilling human life ever lived on this earth was the life of Jesus Christ. And part of that was because he, he fulfilled the will of his Father. He fulfilled his, his purpose 
for which he came into this world, and he has the perfect relationship with his creator. And, and his relationship not only with God, but with his fellow man was unhindered. And when you think about that, the, the unity in the, that comes to that and the joy and the satisfaction, nothing can substitute that uh, by I accomplished this or I succeeded in this or I did this than the deep-seated joy and completeness of being at one with your Creator, with God, and with your fellow man. So we consider the life of Christ. He is a model for a purposeful life, and He is the means he gives us the ability to do that. And this morning, I'd like to read from Mark chapter 1. And this, uh, this passage has always been, to me, really challenging, but it gives a, a little window into the life of Christ. Because when, when and you've got to remember this, that whenever we receive a command or an admonition from God, that we can often feel, I can't do that. <laughs> That's impossible. In fact, more often than not, the commands that he gives us to do, we feel, I just, I'm not capable of doing that. He also gives us the means, the ability to do that through Christ. You know what Paul said this in Philippians 4.13, I can, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So a little window into the life of Christ. Mark is a, is a great... Um, gospel. So we have one gospel, we have four different accounts, but Mark is the shortest, and it's written more to the Greek culture <clears throat> than it is to Jewish. But Mark writes um, <clears throat> here in, in chapter 1, and I'll, I'll have these verses up so you can see them, but chapter 1, verse 32, it says, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered at the door. I want you to get this in your mind. <laughs> Jesus is teacher, and he is healing people. He's healing blind people, causing them to see. Lepers, are, he's cleansing their, their, their flesh is being made whole. He is causing the deaf to be able to hear again. And so you can imagine the stir that this is causing in the region. And so they're bringing people to him, and it says in verse 33, the whole city was gathered together at the door. Now, can you imagine the stress? Now, Jesus is God, that's clear, but he's also man. He's also human. And he can get tired. He can become exhausted. He can become weary. He understands what it's like for us when we feel this way. The whole city is at the door. And what do they want? They want something. They, they're demanding something. I have a need. I want you to meet that need. And to me, it's not very hard to picture yourself like this. You're, you're not Jesus, I know. And not everybody's at your, the whole city doesn't come to your door. But sometimes you feel like it. You feel like the, the whole city is at my door. And it says, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And then in verse 35, it says, in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place or a deserted place. And there he prayed. 
So you see something about what Jesus did. He, he's worn out. He's tired. Everybody wants something from him. And he's getting up before everyone else gets up. And he goes out to be alone in a deserted place. And there he spends time with his father. And then verse 36, it says, And Simon, this is Peter, and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. (laughs) Imagine this. And he said to them, and he didn't give them an answer that they were expecting, saying, oh, sorry, I forgot. Get back to the house. Go back to the place where everybody, the whole city is there wanting to be healed. No, he doesn't give him that answer. He says, and he said to them, let us go to the next town, that I might preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. When you examine the life of Christ, this is the most predictable thing that he did. There are so many things he did that were not predictable. You think, why would he do that? Why would he say that? Oftentimes I'll be reading through and I'll I'll be reading along, and there's a question asked Jesus, and I think, I know what I would say, and then he just says the opposite. He just says something totally I didn't. I couldn't have predicted that. But this is the most predictable thing that Jesus ever did, and that was pulling away and being by himself. You say, well, that's probably next to impossible because everywhere he went, the crowds were pressing on him. Jesus had margin. Margin. Jesus created margin. And margin was necessary for a relationship. Without margin, you cannot have relationship with God. And without margin, you cannot have relationships, meaningful relationships with people. So my proposition this morning to you is you cannot live a life on purpose without margin. So you feel like giving up? (laughs) Because honestly, when I start reading through this, and you're going to see as I share this confessionally, God's speaking to me about this because I think, Lord, how do we do that? Let's first look at our present condition. When you think about our society today and our culture and the way that all of us live, the way we got up this morning, the way we're going to live tomorrow, the way we're going to go through this week, people don't have margin. They don't have margin. You look all around, it's estimated that we spend 50 to 60% of our time on things that are urgent but not important. Think about that. This is like the average through culture, our culture. We spend 50 to 60% of our time on things that are urgent, but they're not important. Long-term, they're not important. And we spend about 15% of our time on things that are important, but not urgent. I want you to think for a moment the things that you would value in life as being really important. Typically, they're not screaming at you. 
They're not. Time with God, time with your spouse, time with your loved ones, time to think, long-term goals, passions, desires that you have. And what happens is, with all the screaming of the urgent things that are demanding in your life, like the whole city at the door, you don't, don't have time. It gets pushed away and crowded out. And I think there are two reasons, foundational reasons, why you and I don't have margin that we need. One is external and the other is internal. Externally, when you look at people, the crowd, uh, it's hard. It's hard to how how do you say no to a leper, a blind man, a beggar, a hungry child? How do you say no? How do you say no? Immediately, you're going to sense this. What do I do? I can't escape this. So the entire crowd, and, and I think the, the entire world today, is going to be putting demands on you to get it done, get it done, get it done, get it done. We've got work to do. We've got things to do. We've got projects. We've got lists. You look at your to-do list, and, and, and often it becomes almost paralyzing. It's that Parkinson principle that, you know, we get a little more time, it fills up. Get a little more time, it fills up. And Peter, in particular, who is the leader of the disciples, he is the spokesman. He's the one that's usually putting his foot in his mouth, but he's saying the things that everybody else would have said. <laughs> They've been thinking those things. But Jesus does something good. He, he gets up early. He gets alone by himself. He's in prayer. He's talking to his Father. He's finding out what's next. That's, that's why when it says we're going to the next town, how did he know he's going to the next town? to the Father. That's how we knew. A lot of times we don't know what to do. We don't know what the purpose is because we have no time to hear from the Father. We're not hearing from His Word. We're not sensing His Spirit because there's too much noise. There's too much activity. It just keeps filling up, filling up, filling up. And you know what? If you go try and hide, they will find you. Peter found Him. Lord! He's rebuking the Lord. <laughs> I mean, that's not, you see the boldness of Peter, but he's saying, where have you been? Everyone is looking for you. Everyone has a need. Can you imagine if Jesus just gave into that? When do you exhaust every need in life? It's not going to happen. So Jesus could have been, just been going, 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 doing, doing, and, re and responding to every need. And then... For not being there, you can experience the criticism from people. How can you not do this? How can you not be there? How can you not heal this person? How can you not feed this person? How can you not teach them? How can you not be with us? Jesus experienced a lot of criticism, even the quietness of the boat when the winds are tossing and turning, and he's sleeping. He said, how can you sleep? So we've, we sense that. The external pressure of technology. It is kind of funny when you think about it, the explosion of technology, and they always tell you that this is going to save you time. Every time-saving device takes up more time. 
You know, I'm wondering how we ever thought that the iPhone saves you time. Well, you think about it. Well, it saves me time finding the map. It saves me time looking something up. It saves me time. Well, we, we can, but, but when you think about it, when people walk around like this, like, I mean, even at the restaurant, you've got four people sitting there. They're all like this. And it's ding, ding. Everybody's running. Is that my phone? Is that my phone? Got to change the ringtone. Now, I'd say most of us are in that trap. The, the technology of today has forced us to have less time. And we, we live in this state of constant preoccupation. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? You're preoccupied with other things because when every time the email comes in, every time the phone dings, every time there's a ring, they can get a hold of you. And I thought if I was like Russell going to officer's candidate school and they take away all technology, that'd be enough, a sh- enough of a shock <laughs> for a young guy. But there's probably a reason that they do that. We applaud multitasking. I can do 10 things at once. But we end up not doing the one thing we need to be doing well. Because what we value gets crowded out by the urgent. So there are external pressures. Our culture is this way. Technology is this way. Everywhere we go this way. People are living this way. So we feel this pressure that, uh, forcing for us to, to live like our society lives. And it is without margin. But there are also internal pressures that go along with the external ones, our desire to please, our desire to be significant, our desire to be valued by others. And so when there's a need, when there's a request, when someone wants something, my, my yes, 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 sure, I can do that, I can do that, I'd be happy to do that. And then you realize, I can't do that. How many of us have, have committed to numerous things and realized there's no way I can do that? And if we do try to do that, it, it maxes us out to where there is no quiet time. There's no time of seclusion. There's no pulling away. There's no time to think. There's no time to pray. There's no time to listen to the voice of God. And so our purposeful life really becomes a driven life. The latest demands that come. And if we don't respond to people, we begin to feel guilty. And it's, it's not a healthy kind of guilt. There's a good kind of guilt, but this is, not a, this is not a healthy kind of guilt. We have become addicted to this habit of responding. So the effect of a life without margin. What, what does a life without margin look like? It's shallow. It's busy, hurried, frantic, get a lot of stuff done, but there are no meaningful relationships. And you see, God created you for meaningful relationships, primarily with Him and then with others. But you're too busy, I'm too busy for that. And and a lot of times we're busy doing good things. Noble causes, helping people, serving, doing this, doing that. But, but God made me to have a full relationship with Him. I can't hear His voice. I don't really know what His will is for my life. I'm just running on the track. Like the hamster in the wheel or the speeding train that you can't get off. And my life becomes 
defined by what I do. What I do, not who I am. Folks, if, if you live a, a whole life that's geared toward being defined by what you do, it's not going to end well. Because all of those things don't matter apart from a relationship. Relationship is the key. The urgent crowds are always there. I hope you understand when I, I say these things, there's nothing wrong with working hard and being busy. But I think that we can, it can almost have a numbing effect on us. My, my personal testimony is this, is that, you know, you can talk about addictions. There are all kinds of drug addictions and alcohol addictions and, you know, but you can get addicted to doing good things and crowd out Christ. And I find this, that I, I personally have a, a natural propensity to fill up every spare moment of my life with doing doing things, doing good things. It just, see, I, I learned that before, didn't I? I guess not, because I'm back doing it again. Do you get that way with some things? You just have this natural inclination. You're just kind of naturally filling it up, okay? And what helps me justify that wrongdoing is that, well, I'm helping someone out, and I'm doing a good thing. But I'm doing this, doing this, doing this, doing, saying yes to everything. There is no time to pull aside to be with the Lord or to pull aside and be with a person that I know that the relationship needs is, is essential. Maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a parent, maybe, maybe a friend. But you can't, even when you're there, you're not there because you're preoccupied. One of the things that I was going through, and I, I think I'd mentioned this earlier, but, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, it gets busy. You just get busy. And I found myself on edge. I just, I just found myself internally angry. I wasn't having uh, outbursts or things like that. Um, but I just kind of felt like everything was really making me upset. Like anybody on the road, if I'm on the road, anybody else is bothering me. Anybody else in line, it's bothering me. Anything that happens is bothering me. And, and, then, it, and then it happens that along with that, and I don't know if God was, sometimes I think God has a sense of humor on this, but, but I would stub my toe, hit, bang my finger, knock my head. I mean, all day long, there are little things like that were just about pushing me over the edge. And so I just felt like I'm, I'm going to explode. I'm going to explode. And I was trying to figure this out. What is it? Why am I feeling this way? I shared this with a couple of guys. I said, pray for me because right now I feel like I'm just on edge. I'm on edge. I'm on edge. And I don't know why. I mean, I don't think there's any unconfessed sin. I don't know if there's something I got to get right. I, I, I cannot figure this out. And it's like I started preparing this message, these messages. <laughs> and it's like, Hello. What I've done is, is what I know I shouldn't do is I allowed every moment of time, every spare part of time to fill up with something else. Back to back to back to back to back to back. Doing good stuff. 
Makes you feel noble, makes you feel righteous, makes you feel like I'm succeeding in life, but I'm really failing because my relationship with the Lord is not being developed. There's no time for it. And it's built in me. And you know, it, it, uh, I think, why is it that I can't learn a lesson just once and then be done with it? <laughs> I'm sure you felt that way too. So what is God's purpose and design for my life? It's more about being than doing. It is forming in me the Christ-likeness that I might have perfect fellowship with Him and right relationships with others. He has created us above all things that we would do. And what we are to be is with one another. And it cannot happen without margin. You cannot have a healthy relationship with God without margin. You cannot have a healthy marriage without margin. You cannot have a healthy relationship with your kids without margin. You cannot be a successful employer or employee if you do not have margin. And we need it physically, we need it spiritually, we need it mentally, we need it emotionally, because that's the way God has made us. All parts of us need to have margin. And this, for Jesus, is what something he did with purpose. And it was the most predictable thing in his life. Let me ask you a question. What's the most predictable thing about you? Maybe I should ask your wife <laughs> or your husband or those who live. What's the most predictable thing about you? Now, don't let someone ask Diane. <laughs> um, now, I think, well, the most predictable thing when I get up in the morning is I'm going to get coffee. Uh, I don't know. But there are things in my life that probably reactions responses, habits. But the most predictable thing in the life of Jesus, and I I think if you study this, you'll find this true, is he created space. Space. Intentionally. Margin. He had margin. You think, you know, that really is amazing when you think about it. Because there is no man who has ever lived on the face of this earth that has had more put on him than Jesus. There is no man that had more to do, who had more people clamoring on him to do things, if you think about it. Has there ever lived anyone who had more pressure on him, not to have margin, than would have been Jesus? And a three and a half years of his public and earthly ministry... I think it's an amazing thing, but the margin he allowed for him, it allowed for restoration and refreshment and renewal. It allowed for relationship to be healthy. And it may be that creating space is getting out of the house, putting away the phone, clearing the calendar, not scheduling those things, not accepting that responsibility. But this is what Jesus did. It seemed for the disciples, every time they turned around, he's gone. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? He got alone. He created that margin. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 31, 
And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Now he's asking them to do it. He said, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They had no leisure. See, we feel guilty about leisure. I don't have leisure. I got work to do. I got things to do. It's a sense of our pride, you know, because I, I define my life by I work, I get things done, I'm going to accomplish things. It's hard to define your life by creating margin. But this is what Jesus did, and this is what he commanded his disciples to do. You need to pull away, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. During that rest, physically, I can be renewed. Emotionally, I can be renewed. Mentally, spiritually, I can be refreshed by what God is doing in my life. And there in those places, real healthy relationships on a horizontal level can develop. But they cannot develop without margin. So three words for a takeaway this morning that I'd like to just challenge all of us. And as I said, I, I speak these words. In fact, I was uh, talking to one of my friends and I said, you know, I'm, this message I'm so burdened about and I know it's going to snow on Sunday. <laughs> so I want people to hear this. And uh, I said, well, the people are going to hear it that God's meant to hear it. And I thought, you know what? If, if you guys were all gone and I'm up here standing and talking to myself, I know one person that needs it, and that's me. So I, and, and usually that's kind of what the way the Lord puts it back to me is that in my life, I know there needs to be margin, healthy margin, as there was for Christ. So three words. The first word is discover. Discover what is really important in your life. There's a lot of clamor. There's a lot of noise. At the end of your life, what really mattered? What really mattered? What's important to you? And usually those things are not urgent things. What is important to you? And to recognize that. The second word is discern. Discern during the course of any day or any time period the difference between what is urgent and unimportant to what is not urgent and important, to what has great value, to discern those things. Because I often think that pretty much we handle it all the same, and it's not all the same. My, my relationship to my grandson or my granddaughter or to my wife or to a person in a relationship compared to just getting another project done, you can't even compare. In, in eternity, you can't even compare those. But I will drift to where the greatest noise and the clamor is. So discern the difference between urgent and important. Jesus felt the crowd. He felt the presence of Peter, but he got away to hear the voice of his father. But until he got away to hear the voice of his father, father, he would still be caught up in the frenzy of doing things. Discover, discern, and the last word is discipline. Discipline your life around what is important. Do surgery in a responsible way. I don't say just go home and just say, I'm not doing any more of that. But you need to do some surgery in your life. You say, you know what? I can't I can't do all of this and have margin. I have to have margin. 
There's some things that can go, other things that can't go, because those are core values to my life. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of difficult for me to say, how do I get margin spiritually? How do I get margin emotionally? Because, because those are a little harder to um, describe, define, understand. How do I get emotional margin? <laughs> um, but I think there are a couple of ways that are pretty tangible. One, your time, and two, your money. Time is pretty tangible. I mean, you know you've got 24 hours a day. And if you don't have margin with your time, you're probably not going to have it anywhere else. And the same with your money. You can count that financially. You say, well, how, how am I going to do that? I'm broke all the time. <laughs> well, I'm not here to give you the answer except to, to say this, that when you live on less than what you earn, you create margin. Sometimes that may seem to be impossible, but when you're always spending more than you take in, it creates stress. You're beyond your margin. You have no margin. You have no peace. Those are things that I think that are very tangible, and others will follow that. But I think when you take an inventory to discover what is really important, as opposed to all that you're doing, all the pressures, all the town at your door, all people clamoring for things, even people that you love and respect like Peter. Discern your life and discipline margin into it. When you realize this, that God has loved you more than you'll ever comprehend, And God has purpose for your life. You are not just created and expected to go find a way. God has purpose for your life. And you will never come to know that purpose, being fulfilled on what you're to be and later to what you're to do, unless you have margin. It's impossible. And I would say most of us will struggle with this. I know I do. My prayer is that you will ask God to help you to direct your steps, that you might be able to see His will fulfilled in your life, that you might realize that purpose of being conformed to the likeness of His Son as Jesus did fellowshipping with His Father. You know, I made a change this year. And my, focus, my focus on 2018 is not what I'm going to do in 2018 or what I'm supposed to do in 2018. It's on what I'm to be. What I'm to be. Because everything you do flows out of who you are. And I thought, if 2018, if I could become more and more what God's intended me to be, that's going to be a great step forward. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for how it comes right to where we live. And as we begin another year with so many demands and pressures on us. We, t- we tend, like the rest of this world, to live at a frantic pace, never being able to get everything done. And Lord, we have no margin. We have no margin for relationship, most of all with you, but even for anyone else. 
So, Lord, I pray we listen to your voice to come apart to a deserted place and be there for a while. That, Lord, you might instruct our hearts and teach us your ways and that we might learn of you and that you might change us to the likeness of your Son to enjoy that for eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.